One of my favorite childhood memories is sitting in my third grade classroom as my teacher, Mrs. Imboden, read Roald Dahl's beloved story, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, to our class. You can just think of little seven-year-old Adam kind of just squirming <laughs> with anticipation and joy as she began to read that story. And no that different year, than now, really. Not much different than now, except I had a little bit more hair. Although I do think that was the year I cut my hair in class and it took a couple of years to solve that problem. <laughs> but that's another podcast for another time. <laughs> that year we even put on a play and it will not surprise any of you to learn I was a squirrel. And yes, there were squirrels in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. What? But years yeah. later, maybe it was like when I saw Gene Wilder's version of the film for the first time, I began to realize the book had some darker undercurrents. Hey, everyone. Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show. Focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I think the first time I saw the movie version of this story, which, as I mentioned, starred Gene Wilder, I began to realize this story is kind of weird. <laughs> and it got even weirder when Johnny Depp came around and did it again. And and oh, now yeah. we've got Wonka coming out in theaters starring Timothy Chalamet. And Kennedy Unthank has seen it. He's going to tell us everything we need to know about the latest reboot of Roald Dahl's, I think, probably best-known story. But we're going to use that as a springboard into a deeper conversation about the appeal of his books in general and also those darker undercurrents and what parents of this generation of fans might want to be thinking about when it comes to how we deal with this influential author's worldview. In our second segment, it's chickens, specifically <laughs> claymation chickens. And you know and what they're, they're doing? Running. They're running. That's right. <laughs> Paul AC is going to tell us about the latest animated movie in the Chicken Run franchise, Dawn of the Nugget. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great title. The title's awesome. <laughs> and we would also like to take this moment to let you know that The Plugged In Show is a production of Focus on the Family, a donor-supported ministry. If you enjoy our conversations each week as much as we obviously do, <laughs> we would love it if you would make a donation to help keep us bringing you the show week after week. And make sure you subscribe to Plugged In wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about us too, because that is the best way to help our show grow. Well, with no further ado, let's dive in. Joining me for our conversation today, as you've probably already figured out, are Kennedy Unthank, Paul AC, and Jonathan McKee. Hey, everyone. Hello. Hey, hey. Hello. All right. To get us started, what book do you think made the translation from page to screen most effectively, and why? Go. Kennedy? Yeah, I, I'm going to start. I was juggling between two. Uh, one was The Hunger Games. Okay. I think the other... I think the one I'm going to land on is Ender's Game. Yeah? Uh, Ender's en Game, really? Yes, Ender's Game I thought did quite well juggling a whole lot of the book. I'll, I mean, if you read the book, you're going to get a few more, like, practice fight scenes in the battle room. Mm -hmm. uh, but, Plus Han Solo's in it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, other than that, though, I, I do think that the film, I mean, it, it brings all the, the main messages of the book across. It brings a lot of the most important moments in Ender's life across. And as far as I can recall, it doesn't actually really change anything. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. And is that our definition of best page to screen is not messing with the story? Yes. Okay. That's I'd, Kennedy's I'd definition. I don't think that's true. But, no. but Paul. Well, Paul, you would be wrong. <laughs> you know, an opinion has been proffered and Paul has disagreed as Paul is wont <laughs> to I do. As I am wont to do. 
Plus, I love proffering in the morning, you know? Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> it basically means offer, but it's got a PR on the front. Paul, what about you? Oh, cool. cool. So I feel uh, reluctant to even mention this sitting as I am beside Kennedy right now, but I'm going to say Lord of the Rings. Mm. Lord of the Rings. That's all right. As long as you didn't say The Hobbit. No, no, no. The book was much better than The Hobbit. But Lord of the Rings, I felt, you know, the books were pretty good, right? But there was a lot of Elvish. There was a lot of meandering singing stuff in there. And Peter Jackson's version sort of cut all that, all the stuff that I kind of found a little bit dull and really cut to the chase. And yeah. I thought and that literally cut to the chase. That's true. Um, and they had some of the greatest monsters in, in cinematic mm-hmm. history, I That's think. That's true. They've Actually, got a cave in, troll. They've got a cave troll. You know, the Balrog is still He's like the standard for me in terms of big creatures on screen. I just, I, I dig those pass. movies a lot. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Jonathan? I can't top that. I, I, well, I it's I not mean, a contest. Uh, That's later. You know, honorary mention Jaws did did pretty good, uh, mm, but in yeah. all honesty, a, did a you lot actually of, read Jaws, Peter Benchley's yeah, novel? No, yeah, I liked it, and and the switch with Hooper, no spoiler alert, uh, was interesting. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean it's just they they uh, with Peter Benchley's books, you kind of almost get the perspective of the creature at times, which is kind of interesting, and you don't get that in a movie, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that it just. They both came out really good. Was it completely true to the story? It depends. Is a major plot switch mean it's not true to the book? I, I, I don't know. Okay. Paul, you wanted to get in there with Man, another comment. Man, I have comment. so much to say about that. You know, I think <laughs> mm-hmm. when you look at movies that really take some liberties with the book, I think of Jurassic Park. They they had some characters live that didn't live uh, in the books, but I thought it was a really well done movie. In some ways, when you look at these films, you sort of have to take them aside from the books, right? And if you treat them yeah. as what they are on their own, they can be pretty good. Well, and with that in mind, I'm going to <sighs> I'm going to copy Paul. It pains me to do so, but I'm going to say Lord of the Rings too. And what I appreciate about Lord of the Rings is. I feel like the movie, the movies are as good as the books, but they bring something else to the table. And so I feel like it's one of those cases where I don't think I would say the books are better than the movie. I don't think I would say the movies are better than the books, but I would say Jackson enabled me to imagine some things that I had never thought about before. I think about like when they're going up Caradris and the snow is falling and mm-hmm. the giants are fighting. Actually, giants, is that hobbits? Am I confusing things? No, I think they're giants are fighting. Okay. There, right. Um, and there's the one scene where we watch the snow fall down on them on the let's trail. Let's defer yes, to Kennedy. I know. Kennedy, Kennedy you knows. are the expert. Yes. Well, there are, there are trolls that fight. Okay. And, uh, in the Hobbit in, 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 in the Quantum Lord of the Rings, you have Saruman who is casting Correct. a spell right. that causes a blizzard on top of the mountain. Yes. You know what See, I was I thinking was of? Conflating <laughs> I was uh, thinking of Narnia. No, <laughs> come in handy. Someday. He's all that one hour and thirty-seven minutes into. Uh, well, and I will say of Narnia, as as okay as those movies were, I think C.S. Lewis has proven remarkably stubborn in terms of capturing effectively on screen. I've yet to see a C.S. Lewis screen-based adaptation that was even close to the books. Paul? It'll be interesting to see what Netflix does with the Chronicles of Narnia. And Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig. From Barbie 
to C.S. Lewis. So we shall see Chronicles of Narnia <laughs> is coming to Netflix pretty soon. Filming starts in 2024, so we wait trepidatiously. Okay, and with that public service announcement for Narnia, <laughs> which is not where I anticipated this icebreaker going, let's uh, refocus on Willy Wonka and Roald Dahl. He is the author of books like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, its sequel, Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, which frankly does not get nearly as much uh, publicity as the Chocolate Factory does, James and the Giant Peach, Matilda, the BFG, the fantastic Mr. Fox, among others. So, Kennedy... Yes. Wonka. What's going on in Wonka? Yeah, so in Wonka, we have kind of a prequel story, a coming-of-age story, if you will, an origin story. Is it poignant? Is it a poignant coming-of-age story? It probably is, depending on who you are. Right. Uh, (laughs) But we have Wonka, and he has... You sound like you're poignant-resistant, though. Uh, I could go either way. Okay, go ahead. Uh, So it stars Wonka, obviously, Willy Wonka, if you are his friend. Um, he <laughs> arrives in this big city where all the best chocolate in the world is produced. And okay. he wants to kind of get in on that because he's been perfecting his chocolate craft for many, many years. However, the other chocolatiers in this city, they actually kind of hold a conglomerate on the chocolate. And they don't mm. want Willy Wonka to show his creation to the world because they recognize that his chocolate is better than theirs. Mm. And if he opens his store, they will go out of business. So they resort to trying to run him out of town. And if they can't run him out of town, then they're going to try and kill him. <laughs> wow. Oh my and goodness. secondarily... Hence uh, the dark. <laughs> yes, yes. Hence the dark. Secondarily, Willy Wonka, eventually he finds himself pretty early on without a place to stay in this town. He's homeless. And he ends up signing a contract that he isn't able to read, that the fine print eventually ends him kind of in a uh, servitile position in order to work off this massive debt that he's accrued as a result of signing this contract uh, that is designed to keep him there for many, many years. Uh, And so he's also kind of got this B-plot of, I need to get out of where I am right now. I need to escape this, this laundry room prison that he's stuck in. Hmm. Interesting. Sounds like life with three kids to me. But <laughs> I digress. Teaches you that you need a lawyer to look at your contracts before signing. <laughs> that's in. right. That's right. That, that's the lesson learned. Positive here. elements. So, yeah. if families are Willy Wonka, you know Charlie and the Chocolate Factory fans, are they going? Do you think they're going to like this? You know, origin story for Willy Wonka. You know, I, I think so. I think. In general, I think it uh, models or at least resembles a lot of the style of both humor and kind of storyline and honestly darkness, too, Okay, uh, that comes across in uh, both of the previous movies. Um, there are some elements in it that I think need to be talked about. Uh, at the same time, I don't think there are elements that are too far off from what you might have seen in Charlie or Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, depending on which iteration you saw. (laughs) Poor Charlie. Oh, poor Charlie. (laughs) Literally, poor, poor Charlie. Yes. So what kind of elements are we talking about here, Kennedy? Are they thematic things or? Yeah, so I think one of the things that stuck out to me was there's there's a corrupt Catholic church that is kind of in cahoots with this conglomerate in order to be paid in chocolate. Uh, It's run by... Corrupt Catholics in cahoots. I like that. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's run by a... 
and I'm quoting it verbatim, it's run by a corrupt cleric and 500 chocoholic monks. (laughs) (laughs) It should be noted that they, they aren't making any huge statement or anything like this is how all Catholic churches are. They're just saying this church is actually just corrupt, uh, but they do make a few kind of uh, spiritual illusions that might feel a little insensitive. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition, there are some suggestive uh, quips as well. Okay. Uh, And and there's, in particular, there's one joke where a man's trying to uh, make a woman fall for him. And he does so by putting on these really tight later hosen and bending over in front of her and the camera's kind of focusing on that for a little. All right. Well, that it feels like we're duly warned then yeah. <laughs> about that That's scene. right. But, but it also doesn't sound like there are any huge disappointments or, or sort of massive content issues, you know, in the context of what we're talking about here. No, I think it was... Like I said, I think it was like watching Charlie and the Chocolate Factory for the first time where you're like, oh, wow, I can't believe they just threw that that kid into the Chocolate <laughs> River and you're never going to see him again until the yeah. end of the movie. Um, that is pretty dark. But like you have elements like that, you okay. know, but it feels yeah. I would argue it feels like one of those movies. Does okay. it does it tell us where the Oompa Loompas come from? Uh, it actually does a little bit. Okay, uh, it, it's that's, it's not like it's, that's all it's I want not an important detail, but it does talk about it a little. All right. Well, I mean, it seems like there's a, a you know a subset of people out there that if you've ever wanted to imagine Hugh Grant as a small orange man, this is your movie, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's actually it, it'd be the perfect movie for that's you. That's my dream. <laughs> I know. I knew it was Jonathan, so I just I wanted to throw. It you just doesn't there. surprise me. Just doesn't surprise me. <laughs> well, let's let's uh, maybe pan out a little more broadly and talk about Roald Dahl stories in general, both the books and the movies. What are some of the themes that really stand out to you? And you can you know obviously talk about those from either the books or the movies because we've probably had some exposure to both. I think the thing that stands out most to me when I read one of these books is actually I think there's a recurring element of hope mm-hmm. against even against situations that kind of defy hope. Okay. Uh, for instance, James and the Giant Peach, uh, where James is, you know, he's living with these abusive relatives mm. and he kind of goes off into this fantastical adventure that eventually ends with him living in an arguably better life in Central Park. Okay. Uh, you have Matilda who once again, I think it's a recurring theme in Roald Dahl, is she's living with abusive relatives who, yeah. uh, and she f- eventually manages to overcome. Uh, you have a lot of these elements, I think, that showcase uh, people put into difficult situations, even Charlie. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he's raised in a family where they have literally nothing to their name, mm. and he just hopes that maybe one day I can get this golden ticket which, yeah. mir- um, which miraculously makes grandpa jump out of bed and all of a sudden start dancing, man. even though he's been <laughs> he <was> just <laughs> yeah. laying in and bed. And you realize this guy's he's a cold. fraud. He's super cold. He's just trying to warm up. But I think it ta- it speaks towards this element of these people are in horrible conditions, and yet still they have a hope that one day things will get better. Okay. But the thing that struck you, I think, when you went back to watch or read or whatnot, is that darkness. Yeah. You know, you do have in Roald Dahl stories this really powerful darkness, which makes the hope stand out more. Mm-hmm. And 
As hmm. you mentioned, Kennedy, you have some really terrible relatives in a lot of these yeah, these stories. Exactly. So, yeah. so the darkness is very close, right? Yeah. You have these kids who are put in these really terrible situations, and it feels kind of hopeless when you first start out. Um, these stories are almost like the children's versions of a Coen Brothers or a Wes Anderson <laughs> film. You know, it's like they show those kind of bizarre people that sometimes you don't always get to see. Mm-hmm. you know, but yet are definitely there and you know them and mm-hmm. you've met them and you're like, aha, there they are on yeah. screen and nobody dared to do it until the Coen brothers did. And now we have to have a children's version of that. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's an interesting thing about the popularity of Roald Dahl, right? Hmm. Because these books can be difficult. They can be scary. They can be, uh, they can keep you up a little bit at night if you're a kid and they're so, so popular. I remember yeah. reading Charlotte in the Chocolate Factory when I was nine years old yeah. and it charmed the socks off of me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go sort of a weird direction with this. Okay. We obviously at Plugged In, we warn people a lot about keeping their kids safe from some of these darker elements in entertainment, Right. But at the same time, we have to be aware that our kids, they know what fear is. They know, they sense some of the darkness that we find in this world. And and to have stories that sort of deal with that darkness with an element of hope, it encourages them to think about uh, about ways that they can deal with their own darkness in their lives. And I think that's one of the powers of these books. Yeah, that actually reminds me of a quote, and I... I can't remember who it was who said it but they said something along the lines of uh talking about fantasy and dragons they said mm. that fantasy if you have a dragon it doesn't teach kids that dragons exist because they already know they do right it teaches them that you can conquer them yep chesterton yeah. oh gk chesterton yeah nice paul you're like a human internet <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> But I I do think that there's some validity to that, right? Sometimes parents, rightly so, need to be protective of their children. Yeah. But they have to understand that their kids have questions. They have fears. Mm. They have doubts. And uh, the ability to confront those fears and doubts, even in a story-like form, can be, you know, cathartic. Yeah, I I think in general what Roald Dahl does is kind of like a – what Disney does to a Brothers Grimm Mm -hmm. fairy tale, where if you read the Brothers Grimm version, you're going to be pretty sad by the end. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Usually the main characters are like, oh, and then they get chopped up. The end. (laughs) It gets very dark. (laughs) Something like that. It it gets very dark. But then Disney comes in and they're like, well, actually, okay, we're not ending it like that. (laughs) We're going to have a happy ending. I think that's kind of how I see Roald Dahl yeah. do this thing where it could have ended very badly. Yeah. But there's, it ends on an, on an uphill note. Yeah. I, I think that's right. And I think, um, it's interesting that you bring up the brothers Grimm because that's what I was thinking too, is that there is hmm. in those stories and those old fables and those old fairy tales. I think there is a willingness to grapple with, the reality that the world can be mean and can be dangerous and can be a place of peril. And I agree, you know, mm-hmm. some of the, the Brothers Grimm stories do end badly, but I think it's only relatively recently in our storytelling that we've become sort of averse to, you know, those hard sort of realities. And I think actually there's a way in which Roald Dahl's stories 
they kind of feel like a throwback to a time when we were willing to tell the truth about the fact that the world can be hard. Now, I'm now going to talk completely out of the other side of my mouth, <laughs> which is the last time that I watched Matilda, the movie, and I'm talking about the original Matilda movie that was made a number of years ago. Um, I don't like it because there's a meanness to it. Mm-hmm. I don't like how mean her family is to her. I don't like how mean the you know her main teacher is. But I also don't like that they're mean to the teacher back. Like there's this sort of Old Testament kind of eye for an eye. You know, it's sort of there's a mean spiritedness in the way that bad guys and people who have character flaws sometimes get dealt with. And we see it in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know, we've got Augustus Gloop and Violet Beauregard and Mike TV. And but they had it coming. Well, but that's <laughs> that's it, right? Oh, well, now, then Paul, it's okay. I know you've got thoughts on this. No, so. and just to echo exactly what Kennedy said much more succinctly than I'm about to do, we had talked <laughs> we had talked off mic really about how Roald Dahl can have this Old Testament feel to it, right? Yeah. You have punishments that are exacted yep. on some of the characters that deserve it. There is retribution for what they do. Um, and that may be one of the appeals of the book as well. And, and I would argue a darker appeal. Well, and it's almost gleeful mm-hmm. at times. Like, especially in Matilda, we're invited to sort of project all of the bullies that we ever experienced <laughs> into this character. And the movie wants us to sort of enjoy watching her get what's coming to her. I think in some ways, I'm going to make a really big leap here. It's the same issue we deal with with action movies that are predicated on taking revenge. Sure. Right? And Mm -hmm. there's something cathartic about seeing people with evil or character flaws getting what's coming to them. But I think when we're talking about kids and some of these characters... I don't know. Matilda just sort of gives me the creeps. That was how I felt mm. the last time I watched it. Is I, I don't like this story and I don't like what it's necessarily teaching my kids, even though I understand the appeal of it. And I do think that as parents, we do need to be careful about the stories that we let our kids kids get involved okay. with, right? Because Say more about that. Because while these stories can be cathartic, they can be helpful, they can be beautifully charming in their own ways, you know, every kid has their own sensitivity, yeah. right? Um, I know I know children who would be enraptured by Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I know other kids who might have nightmares, right. who might be really troubled by some of what we see. When you have some of these darker relatives, you can have, <laughs> you can imagine that some kids might look at their own relatives in a little bit different way. And yeah, I think that you have to be really aware of your kids' sensitivities when you're introducing them to any story, uh, because different kids will absorb things different ways. Well, and I was doing a little bit of just background work on Roald Dahl. I confess I didn't know much about his story. And it sounds like, you know, he went to almost that stereotypical British parochial school where you had, on one hand, people talking about Christian things, and then they were totally mean to him. And so that idea of adults and hypocrisy really comes out of his childhood. And, you know, we've seen that in so many authors, right? You know, that the experiences they had when they were young with suffering, with tragedy, with trauma, come back and they inform, um, you know, the work of the stories that even though they're beloved kids' stories, it's like, 
wow, there's a lot of darkness going on here. And I believe that 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 gets us back to the charm, the beauty, Mm. the power of these stories, right? Because you do see yourselves in these primary characters. Madeline Lengel, who wrote, you know, Wrinkle in Time and Mm -hmm. some other fantastic books, uh, she said, you have to write the book that wants to be written. And if Mm. the book will be too difficult for grownups then you write it for children. Oh, wow. And What does she mean by that, do you think? uh, It really means that kids, because they're so... Because they're so open to the world, Mm. I think that they understand things in some ways in a bit... Not better, but in a purer sense. Mm. They see the evil in the world and they see it as evil. They see the pain in the world and see it as pain. Mm. And because of our experiences, we we have scar tissue. We're jaded. We're yeah. jaded, exactly. Yeah. And, and so we feel those stories much more powerfully. And because of that, the books that we read, the movies we watch, the TV shows that we introduce our kids to can be all the more powerful and in a weird sort of way, all the more dangerous. I love that. And I think that that's a a good place to at least get the landing gear down on our conversation today. And I would I would simply add to that that part of what we do at Plugged In is really try to think about story from the perspective of the story of the story that allows us to frame our understanding of all the stuff that we experience in the world. Right. Because we all deal with loss. We all deal with disappointment. Some of us deal with terrible tragedy, right? Not everybody, but but we all have to process emotions. And these sorts of stories, as you were saying, Paul, for some kids, they might be whimsical and cathartic. And other kids, it might be too close to home. It might be more than they can handle. And so our job as parents, I think, is to come alongside our kids. At times, we know when to say no to something. At times we say, you know what, we're going to watch this, but we're going to talk about it afterwards because there are things in this story that are hard. And I think even after watching Matilda the last time I talked with my daughters about, well, how do we respond to bullies? How do we respond when we're treated unjustly? Uh, So there's conversations to be had and it plugged in. We want to be a resource for you just to, you know, constantly be giving you some ideas on how to have those conversations and to be a catalyst for relationship because all of these stories intersect ours and our kids have to know and and learn how to navigate them. So great conversation today. I think we probably as often is the case, we probably could have gone another hour on this, but um, good stuff today, guys. Thanks. Well, in our second segment, as mentioned, chickens running chickens. And I, I need to know, Paul is Dawn of the nugget as cinematically delectable as it sounds? Is this a movie that's going to make me want to eat chickens? Because that's really the whole premise of this entire franchise, right? Yeah, this would be Chick-fil-A's nightmare movie. (laughs) This is not... not, It will not make you want to eat chickens. It will make you want to hug chickens. Okay. Hug them. Hug them Um, while they're running. So this is obviously the sequel to the original Chicken Run movie, which came out in 2000, I believe. I was going to say it was like a long time ago. A hugely long time ago. It was a massive success. It made $200 million at the box office. It has a 97% freshness rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Fresh chicken. Fresh chicken. (laughs) You wouldn't think that chicken would last as long as 23 (laughs) years to get to the sequel. 
and yet it works pretty well. Okay. It really does. Um, so essentially what we have here, if you remember the original Chicken Run movie, Ginger, the primary character that we have here, broke out of Mrs. Tweedy's uh, chicken farm, essentially. It was okay. sort of a great escape-like takeoff. Took a whole bunch of chickens with her with the help of an American <laughs> rooster named Rocky. They escaped. <laughs> this finds them in a paradise, you might say, of chicken proportions. It's this little island in the middle of this river. Um, everybody is sort of working the land. And Rocky and Ginger have had a child. Uh, her name is Molly, and she's a little bit of a rambunctious kid. Uh, I would expect nothing less. She gets into trouble, and she likes adventure, and eventually she gets to the point where she wants to get off this island. Mom, can we go over there? You've got everything you want right here. You can't make me stay here. Ginger knows what's on the other side of the island. She definitely does not want Molly going. But Molly sees this truck, right? She sees this van that has this chicken that's smiling so happily that's in this bucket. And she thinks, man, I want to go and sit in a bucket. <laughs> and so that's where the movie really picks up. Molly runs off and it's up to, to Ginger, Rocky, and the rest of our chicken friends to rescue her from a very diabolical chicken plant. <laughs> Paul, that was a, a lovely summary. <laughs> I mean, I know that you were like, I need a little thing to hold up a 10 sign. <laughs> I give you a 10 out of 10 for your summary. Well, and, what else? And here's the thing. I think that this is a great movie to talk on the heels of what we had just talked about, right? Because okay. you have Molly on this island. She wants to get off. Ginger knows that the world outside that island is dangerous. And so okay. you have this push pull uh, that Ginger is facing about wanting to keep Molly safe while Molly wants to see the real world. And I think that that's sort of emblematic of what a lot of parents, especially parents who probably listen to this podcast, deal with. You know, the desire to keep them safe, the need to prepare them for the real world. So this has some really nice messages, I think, about family. Okay. Well, speaking of parents, what else do parents need to know about anything that is potentially you know, problematic enough that they're going to want to know about it ahead of time. So you do have some bathroom humor. You're going okay. to have to deal with a little bit of bathroom humor. Um, and that's really about it. There's a lot of slapstick in the mix. You have people who are imperiled. They get shocked on electric fences. They get blown up by exploding ducks. They get shot oh. at by robotic moles. And of course, you have the threat always of these chickens being processed as you nuggets. might say. Yes, and not every chicken makes it out alive. Ooh. It is not graphic, but I think just the sounds of the blades at work could Ooh. be a little bit bothersome. All right. I mean, Until you start to smell that nice breaded <laughs> spice mix. Mm. All right. This has been Kennedy with a, a PSA for every chicken restaurant in America. <laughs> All right. Well, Paul, thanks for letting us know what's going on with Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. It's we like to keep you abreast of oh. all information. Well, now it's time to fly away from this segment and actually to begin to bring this podcast in for a landing. Well, now it's time for a segment we call Pop Culture Connection, in which we are joined by our producer, Ashley. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Adam. And she asks us 
a series of questions uh, really, you know, sort of individually tailored to each one of us Indeed. that have something to do with popular culture, entertainment. Yes. And our job is to give as many answers as possible in 30 seconds. And I mean, yeah. that 30 second rule is pretty firm. We <laughs> it often, is because we have a clock. We have a clock yeah. and, it, and it, it's it a is. real clock. Right. And so... Anyway, I digress. Yeah. Ashley, take it away. All right. So, Kennedy, I have you up first. Great. Ooh. This is a good, good one for you. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Why or why not? Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, oh. Yes. Okay. <laughs> why? There's snow. Okay. There's Christmas. Yeah. Lights. Too. There's drama. <laughs> you haven't seen it, have okay. you? I haven't seen that. <laughs> wow. Oh, uh, you were really pretty There are vents. Yes. And if you know anything about Christmas, Santa comes through a type of vent called a chimney. Um, um, yeah. That's so, nice. awesome. Yeah. Nice. I gotta say. That oh, was he great. deserves some style you points. You have for not that. Yes. seen well, that. You know, actually, Die Hard? For a movie I haven't seen. Oh, my that God. was pretty good. I almost vents. feel like, given Jonathan's <laughs> level of of passion here what would you think about letting him do that question too would that oh, be okay i think we should all do that question well i don't know that by the time <laughs> oh, we get to paul and i there's going to be anything more to add that's but... true. Oh, i i don't know well did i really i, I, does, does, I know does it, i could yeah. feel i could feel jonathan just almost yeah. exploding with joy yes. see the person that who goes salivating. last would just repeat everything that was so said right. right what i'd like to do is go ahead and ask all no. the questions and then have a bonus round of jonathan answering that okay, okay. i think so that's totally legit. that'll be fun jonathan will get a hundred points <laughs> No, Meanwhile, Kennedy so. got six for a Good movie job. he's not seen. Awesome. Yeah. Fake it till you make it, man. Good Fake job. it till you make it. <laughs> All right. Could be a Wizard of Oz question for me. <laughs> There's Christmas. Vents. I like the Vents answer. Vents. That was Santa great. comes Vents. through a vent. Yeah, I was like, okay, I've seen like I've seen like three stock photos of Die Hard. So I'm just like, okay. And it's always Bruce Willis with hair crawling through glass in vents. That's very good because at Plugged In, we shouldn't be watching Die Hard anyway. That's right. Rated R, remember. Live. Easy. Paul. Okay. Paul. Tailored to us, right? Who is Batman's best nemesis and why? Oh, that's definitely the Joker. He's been around longer than anybody else. He's He dresses in purple, which is a nice contrast to, to Batman's basic black. He's sort of a mirror image of Batman in some ways, but not really. Uh, he does make a really nice contrast because he's always laughing, and Batman never does. Mm. He's got all those really cool gadgets. He's the most flexible in terms of just how he's treated throughout the ages. Mm -hmm. He goes from this really Oh. Nice job. Dark like, character. I need an entire segment on this. Well, you know, Paul wrote a book, yeah. so it's kind of there. It's yeah. good job. Seven points. Oh, I only beat Kennedy by one, and he didn't see yeah. the movie, right? Try harder, Paul. But oh. you were you were so passionate. You were so passionate about the. Do Joker. I get passion points? Maybe we'll okay. see. We'll see. Style points. Yeah. Who's All next? right. Jonathan, we'll have you go since you've got a bonus round coming up. Okay. All right. At an arcade full of every retro video game ever manufactured, what eats your quarters and why? Mm. Oh, that's a 
Qbert because it's got a little clicker at the bottom when the guy dies. Mm. Also, it's got the best sound effects. Also, it's got these great <laughs> geometric shapes. It has the uh, coolest lead characters. Has the baddest bad guys. Has the greatest voices ever. <laughs> it has. Uh, it, it is. It can, you can go as many levels as you want and just keep going. The game is never ending. Uh, it has more colors than the other game. Um, nice. Nice. So, how many? Nine. Nine. No, nine. How many colors? How many colors? Never ending. <laughs> um, never yeah, ending. Never, then, yeah, because each new level, you know, the little cubes change colors. Yes. I, I have to tell a story. Very brief. Sure. One of my best family vacations ever when I was younger, like maybe 12, there was a Qbert video game in our hotel, and it was broken, and it did not require quarters. <gasps> and I literally oh. played Qbert for wow. about four days nonstop. Oh my and goodness. by the end, I was a lowercase Qbert god. <laughs> I was amazing. So Jonathan, awesome. yeah, it wouldn't have been my choice, but it was a pretty great Qbert experience. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, about that click at the bottom? Oh yeah, I know what you're talking That's awesome. about. awesome. I love his appearance in Wreck-It Ralph. Oh yeah. So funny. You've never played Qbert, have. have you? Have you really? Have. So that makes me the only person who hasn't played it. Oh. Why are you trying to throw it on me? Well, because wow. you're young. Right? Yeah. It would Paul sure. says that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> do you got one for me, Ashley? All right. I do have one for you. It harkens back to what oh, we talked I about a little hearkening. bit earlier. Do you prefer the fiction of C.S. Lewis or J.R.R. Tolkien and why? Oh, I'm going to have to go J.R.R. Tolkien because I think he's a better storyteller. I think he understands narrative better. At times, I feel like I can feel C.S. Lewis's agenda. And I know we love Narnia because of that. But I think Tolkien is just a better world builder. He created an entire language. He created poetry. He gave us orcs and hobbits. I mean, full score for that. Also, Balrogs, <laughs> as Paul mentioned earlier. Uh, Gandalf, Frodo, uh, Aragorn. Three you can't just, names. just talk <laughs> characters. You just can't name no, characters. Paul, um, I do, and I can, and it's up to Ashley right. to score it. And twelve points, oh! buddy. Woo! That's how nice it's done, job. Paul. That's, That's right. cheating. Single words. Like with cheating. a Batman question, you could go, yeah. woo, <laughs> belt, <laughs> Batmobile. All right. I mean, that's three points right there, and it only took like two seconds. Yes, but we so, have a bonus round. Bonus round for Jonathan. For Jonathan. Yes. So this is, he's oh. got to beat 12 I bet he on does this it. one. Jonathan, are you oh, ready? And, and I'm asking, are you having to re-ask? Are you I will re-ask a new the question. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, here we go. Jonathan. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Why or why not? Oh, absolutely, because John McTiernan himself is a present as a director. There's snow. There's oh Christmas music goodness. from Run DMC. Uh, it ends with a Christmas song. Uh, Santa hats. Uh, a dead guy with ho, ho, ho written on his chest. Um, there's love. There's bare feet, just like Christmas morning. Uh, there's a Christmas party. Uh, Chicago, the best Christmas city. Marriage on the rocks heading towards redemption like Christmas. Ethnic diversity like Christmas should be. Good cops and bad cops with Christmas good and evil. Um, there's a... Uh, <laughs> Holy <You> cow. <laughs> Ethnic <Wow>. diversity <laughs> like Christmas should be. About I mean, I think I understand. But... About halfway through that, he was just throwing Christmas in front of words. <laughs> <laughs> How many? 14 points. Oh, oh my man. goodness. Come on. Bare feet man. like Christmas morning. That was, that... 
<laughs> my feet are always covered in glass. Okay, Jonathan, you, you're allowed glass. to be creative. You're not allowed to like riff on your greatest hits from your last 30 <laughs> seconds of triumph. Yeah. But our listeners will remember, though, I think in a recent podcast where Ashley asked me a question and the gate opened and I just stared at it. Oh, yeah. That's true. I didn't, I didn't even leave the gate. That I was like, was, I don't know. Yeah. I got nothing. That was an Sometimes that happens. Yeah. yeah. But I, I just I want everyone nothing. to know that he never said anything about vents. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is true. Which are kind of like the one that Santa kind of went down. <laughs> <laughs> went down a vent of sorts. That's... Oh, I, um, man. I love this game. I mean, it's just it's just great, and it's a I'm, gift I'm in glad itself. That, that Jonathan was able to definitively answer the diehard question. Nice. Um, I would have said no, but we can do me. Yeah, some I, other I think time. that our fans should help us go viral oh, on this. Yes, since he did definitively give that yes. answer. So, and we want to hear from them. Yes, and as we as we close out today, what do you think? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not? You can let us know a couple of different ways. You can go to thepluggedinshow.com and you'll find a little black tab where you can leave us a voicemail. You can send us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com or go to Facebook or Instagram. I would love to have enough people respond here that we can tally your responses and that we can get back to you and say... Here's what the Plugged In Show listeners definitively said. And despite Jonathan's passion, I, I feel like it's an opportunity to shout him down here. <laughs> we don't get many of those. That's but right. But she'll be wrong. But she'll be wrong. And, and it turns out maybe I'm just a, you know, a bah humbug curmudgeon. So we would love to interact with you not only about that, but anything that we talked about today. Have you seen? Are you planning on seeing Wonka? or Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. Tell us what you thought. Tell us what questions you have. Uh, or just our conversation about Roald Dahl in general. What is your favorite Roald Dahl book? And how do your kids relate to these stories? And again, you can find information in the episode notes for today's show on how best to connect with us and to engage with us in this conversation. Well, thanks as always for joining us. We know that right now, especially you probably have a long Christmas do list, you know, you need to scamper out to the vent and, you know, get to the store. <laughs> I think the vents is going to be a, a plugged in show. Greatest hit. I, it just I think it so. feels like it might be back later. It's nice how you add vent. There. Add oh, vent. oh, nice, Jonathan. All right. I, wow. I can't top that. Thanks so much for joining us this week. And we'll be back for more next week on The Plugged In Show. Your kids are unique, and so are you. You have your strengths as a parent and areas of growth, too. Find out what they are by taking the seven traits of effective parenting assessment from Focus on the Family. Find out how you're doing on traits like gratitude, grace, and other research-backed traits. When you're done, we'll give you a detailed PDF with several pages of content on how to use your unique strengths and how to work on your areas of growth. This simple framework shows you how to be an effective mom or dad in daily family life, a parent who recognizes your imperfections and finds ways to thrive. You'll also get access to other resources from Focus on the Family to help you keep growing into the best parent for your kids. 
It only takes a few minutes to boost your parenting. Take the seven traits of effective parenting assessment at parentingtraits.com. That's parentingtraits.com.